Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you who are here in person, as well as those of you who are online. Uh, it is kind of interesting, having moved here from Kentucky, how many Kentucky fans immediately became Murray State fans. So uh, I can tell who filled out a bracket and who did not. So uh, just so that you know, I picked Arizona. Uh, James uh, has uh, helped our staff uh, put together brackets. No money's being exchanged that I know of. And uh, but uh, so I picked Arizona to win. So my apologies if that makes any of you angry. Um, and, and if you're visiting with us and you say, good night, these people need help with their basketball teams. We would encourage you to become a part of the church so that you could help us. Uh, that's the best leeway I can, Pastor Joe, into next steps, uh, first Sunday of the month. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're interested in a little bit more about what our church is and who we are, uh, I'll be leading this coming month's next steps, which is uh, an opportunity after our second service. We'll be having lunch uh, to come and learn a little bit, ask some questions, and be able to engage with us about uh, what kind of place this is. You can go to our website at southsub.church to sign up for that. We are continuing in our series, um, and uh, the end of me, uh, based on Kyle Eidelman's book. Kyle is the teaching pastor at uh, uh, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. That that has nothing to do with the brackets, by the way. And um, he also switched to Murray State, but that's another question. The um, uh, books are available uh, if you'd like to purchase one. Um, they, uh, they're, it's a good read. It's an easy read. Um, that really can, it could even function as a devotional uh, as you go through Lent. So uh, if you're interested in that, um, send an email to office at southsub.church, and we, we have some here for you that are cheaper than you can get um, uh, anywhere else. So hopefully uh, you'll, um, you'll be interested in that. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking at the Beatitudes, and today we're focusing on the uh, eighth verse. Um, You you know the Beatitudes, Jesus is teaching. We'll remind you occasionally throughout this series, all of the Beatitudes, but today I'm just going to read the Beatitude that we're focusing on today, and that's verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, several of the pastors in this area kind of gather together every once in a while to just sort of talk and and uh, one of the pastors said that they were challenged to um, uh, make their sermon just one sentence. I hate to be the pastor of that church, frankly, but anyway. Um, and I thought it was a good, good, good exercise, though. That doesn't mean that he's just going to preach one sermon. So if I were going to preach this message in one sermon, um, or, or at least the summary of this verse in one sentence... Uh, to help us understand it, I would say something along these lines. Only the pure in heart see God, and the only way to a pure heart is looking to God. So you see, this beatitude is a circle. Only the pure in heart see God, the only way to a pure heart is by looking to God. In the, church's, uh, in, the, in the church's celebration and organization of its life, 
probably at least 500 years ago, if not 1,000 years ago. Every Sunday had a special name. Every Sunday was a special name. And there's a whole reason why that developed, and, and uh, we, we, we have this idea that people went to church every single Sunday in the Middle Ages. That wasn't true. Uh, if they got to church once a month or once every couple of months, that was considered good. And so every Sunday became a huge celebration for all of those who came to church in the Middle Ages. Now, as we have come into a, certainly we don't have everybody that comes to church every Sunday, uh, but certainly getting to church is easier than it was in the Middle Ages. You, you don't have to, to ride three or four hours to get to church and, and whatever kind of weather might show up. Uh, we've retained some of that tradition, and you, you and I probably haven't even paid much attention to it, that we have given certain Sundays special names. So, for example, Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter. That's a big day. Pentecost Sunday, maybe not quite as well known, but it's a Sunday that's a big day. Um, but uh, those really are big, big, big days. So, yeah, we've kind of kept those. But a lot of the other Sundays, we, we just don't really pay much attention to them. The little Sundays, if you will. And the little Sundays had names too. And today, this Sunday, is the third Sunday in Lent. So we're in the season of Lent. We've talked about that. And this particular Sunday would be called Oculi Sunday or Oculi Sunday. Oculi. And much like, much like today, I, I thought today was a wonderful example. How do we begin our services? With a time of singing, right? A time of praise. Uh, a time of opening our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And in the ancient church, they called that time, they did the same exact thing. They might not have seen, sung the same exact songs, but the flow was the same as, as we're trying to give to you today. And, but in the ancient church, they called it the introit. And the introits were nothing more than the singing of psalms, okay? So the psalms that are in your Bible, each psalm would be assigned to be sung on a Sunday. And the psalm that would have been assigned for today would have been Psalm 25, beginning in verse 15, and it goes like this in the English. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. And... In the Latin, of which most of the church was starting to speak after about 380, 390, everybody spoke Latin because of the Roman Empire and the pervasiveness of it. The word for my eyes is the Latin word oculi. We get, you know, ocular. We get, we, we, we've retained that to some degree. Now, maybe, maybe that is the working of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit raised up this this, this uh, uh, beatitude on Oculi Sunday, because I got a couple of questions for you as we reflect on this this morning, and it, it's this, what are you looking toward? Where are your eyes focused? What is it that you're looking at? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the older I get, the more I have to use these things. I mean, I get kind of frustrated when I go to the store, if my, if, which my wife doesn't send me to the store very often. But occasionally, when she asks me to go to the store, if I forget these, it's a wasted trip because I can't see anything. I have to look at the aisle and go down the aisle like this. 
in order to see. Matter of fact, I can't see you. You guys right now are just a bunch of blur. Now, that could be really beneficial for you, because if you go to sleep, I wouldn't be able to tell, all right? But it's only if I put these on that suddenly life comes into focus. Now, in the Bible, the Old Testament alone, 40 people are listed in the Old Testament alone as having seen God. Can you believe that? Now, we are pretty sure that they didn't really see God physically because we know from the Bible that one can't see God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. You know I'm going to give you some Bible to prove every point I got here for you today. Exodus 33, 18, Moses says, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make, this is God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see me. You cannot see my face. For man and women shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Now, any Hebrew scholars in the room? Oh, good, so I won't get challenged on this. The word that we translate back, you will see my back, that's not what that word says in the Hebrew. You can imagine what that word is, can't you, that God is saying in the Hebrew. You can't see my face, but there is something you can see and live. Now, that's Hebrew humor. If you're mad at me, don't, don't, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the, that the Hebrew understanding. What is God saying here? is the best that you can see of me is my rear end and live because anything else and you will surely die. Shauna, that, when I tell that story, it never ends well. I don't care which church we're in. I don't care where I have told that story. There's always deathly silence after I tell it. It's true. Y'all go talk to somebody who knows more than me. There is one who has seen God's face, however. The one who came from heaven, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. By the way, if you don't catch all of these scriptures, you can either go to our Bible app by the QR code or pick up a study guide at the Welcome Center. I have all of these passages listed. Be like the Bereans as we read in the book of Acts. Search the scriptures and see what if I'm telling you is true. And we're told by Jesus that only he knows the Father as well as anyone. He, that is Jesus, has revealed the Father to us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Luke chapter 10, verse 22. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. Now this word see doesn't mean to see with eyes. The word see, properly defined, means to stare at to perceive, to discern clearly, to attend to, to pay attention to. 
That's what that word literally means. Now, let me, let me, let me just share with you. Let me show you. I'm going to step down here, camera folks. Let me show you what this word looks like in real life. <laughs> this is uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> I'm watching everything you do. I'm right here. What's the phrases? I'm on you like, well, let's, let's not finish that sentence. They're already mad at me about the whole back thing. I'm right here. That's what the word means. And so the question is, that, sorry, thank you. I hope you don't leave the church. <laughs> He's an elder. It's probably me that might leave the church after that. Are you looking at God that way? That's what Jesus is saying. Are you staring at God? Are you right in God's face? Are you attending to God? Are you watching everything God does? How can I be pure in heart? Because that's the only way I can do that, right? God means, seeing God means to not take your eyes off of God, to perceive God in your life and in the lives of others, to pay attention to, to be constantly walking with, so as to discern the directions, looking ahead, never, ever, ever taking your eyes off God. You don't care about anything else in your life because you're so focused on God. You remember when we took driver's ed? Uh, what am I saying? Some of you didn't take driver's ed. I've seen you. <laughs> I've seen folks drive. I know lots of folks who've completely forgotten driver's ed. But remember what they said? To keep your car between the lines, you don't look at the lines. Remember that? Your teacher said, look out and up. Because when we often look at the lines... That's the things we can't do, the places we shouldn't go, the limits of what we can get away with and still be good. When we look at the line, what happens? Our cars go toward the line. When we look at the things that we can't do or shouldn't be doing, that's what we become preoccupied with. We, 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 we say things, even pastors say things. We say, you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And if all of you're doing is focusing on X, Y, and Z, what is the battle you're constantly having in your mind? Man, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry about X, Y, and Z. Look at me. Look at where we're going. Look at what I am doing in your life. We do this all the time. We look at our problems. We have a dream or a goal, and we do a SWOT analysis. You know what that is. We examine the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But what do we spend our time talking about after we've done that SWOT analysis? The weaknesses, don't we? Or the threats. We focus on why we can't do something. Why we, why, why, why we'll fail. Who will get angry at us. Who will resist. We look at the ditch, not the highway. We look at the cliff here in Colorado instead of where the curve might take us. So how do we see God? Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what's the heart? Well, like the eyes, we're not really talking about the actual muscle that pumps blood in your body. Physicians tell us that, that, that the feelings of love and connection that we generally associate with the heart actually is a result of the hormones oxytocin and vasopressin, which are produced by the hypothalamus, which is in the brain. Now, in the Middle Ages, they thought love was a result of the liver. Next, next Valentine's Day, gentlemen, find a card that says, honey, I love you with all of my liver. See how that goes over. 
But you know what they're talking about because they thought that love was from here. As a matter of fact, they had a phrase that's made its way into some hymns. Don't worry, we've changed the, the wording of the hymns because no one would understand it. And it's things like, my bowels long for you. That's not something that I think your spouse would really enjoy you hearing in the, in, in the middle of the night. She, the, he or she would say, well, then you need to get to the bathroom. But you know what I'm talking about, because I remember that pit in my stomach when I asked Shauna out to dinner. Remember that pit, fellas? Not when you asked Shauna out to dinner, when you asked your spouses out to dinner. I remember, I remember that pain right here when I tried to hold her hand as we walked looking at the city, uh, 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 the Christmas lights at the city park. I remember the first time we went out to dinner and I ordered pecan-crusted trout and salad because I wanted her to think I ate healthy. <laughs> you remember that? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, for God is my witness, Paul says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Both of these words, yearn and affection, carry the meaning of hunger, of straining after. As Christ yearns for us, Paul yearns for the Philippians. It's this doubling over, intense hunger, bowel-focused desire. That's what Jesus is talking about. The pure in heart, the people who hunger for God who can't get enough of him. Now, I know that heart is a better word for our culture, isn't it? This heart and the beatitude is that source of the yearning. It, it, it's that non-physical, spiritual being. It's, it's your deepest being, that part of you that makes you, you. Most scholars believe that Jesus is referencing Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6 in this beatitude. Let me read that to you. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure, say it, heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God the Jacob, of, of the God of Jacob. The person who will be blessed by God is the person who seeks God above all else. The one who stares at, who's focused on, the one who seeks God's face and is humbly honest and true with all people. Do your thoughts, do your feelings and interactions with others come out of a humility before God? Mine don't <laughs> quite a few times in the hour. Or are they driven by what you think is best for yourself? Is the depth of your heart seeking God, or is the depth of who you are seeking what you want? Now we're getting to a real diagnosis of the heart, aren't we? Of not only your heart, but my heart, our heart. The Barner Group conducts surveys about the beliefs and practices of Americans. Their surveys have found something drastically different about seeking God and being humble and honest with other people. So Barna put this statement before people. Please do not answer these questions publicly, okay? Because you'll get embarrassed. Just answer them in your heart. Barna asks uh, um, 
I forgot how many people. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. Don't say anything out loud. The best way to find yourself is by looking in yourself. What would be your answer to that? Don't say it out loud. What would be your answer to that? 91% of Americans agreed with that statement, that the best way to find ourselves is by looking within ourselves. 76% of practicing Christians agree. Listen, looking in yourself is not seeking after God. Barna also asked, to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. 86% of Americans agreed, 72% of practicing Christians agreed. And the study concluded that there was a tremendous amount of individualism in today's society, and that's reflected in the church too. Seminary president and pastor Dale Meyer says, many Christians are using the way of Jesus to pursue the way of self. They're using the way of Jesus to pursue the way of self. While we stress over the spreading influence of secularism through our culture, most church-going Christians have embraced a corrupt, me-centered theology. We have to be careful. Phrases like, follow your heart, or what does your heart tell you? Man, I know they're common, and they're, they're well-meaning. I'm not trying to be a jerk here. When I often say that, Pastor Joseph says, well, you don't have to try, Pastor Ryan. You remember the driver's ed analogy? It's like asking the steering wheel of your car to take you where you need to go. The steering wheel has to be controlled by somebody. Our hearts have to be controlled. They have to be disciplined. What does the Bible say about the heart? You really want to know what the Bible says about the heart? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The truth is, no one lies to us more than our own hearts. No one. Our hearts are pathologically selfish. In fact, if we do what our heart desires, every good thing Every beautiful thing, every person, every wonder of life, every joy is perverted and impoverished. Our hearts want to consume things for our own self-glory and self-indulgence. Our hearts do not save us. We need to be saved from our hearts. But listen, our hearts were never designed by the Creator to be followed. That's not what hearts are to do. Our hearts were designed to be led. Did you hear that, brothers and sisters? Our hearts aren't designed to be followed. Our hearts are designed to be led. Our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And Jesus gives us the answer to keeping our hearts focused. See God, stare at God. It's why Paul says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And how do I see God? Paul writes in Colossians 2, 8, and 10, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, that is Jesus, 
the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You want to see God? Stare at Jesus. How do I stare at Jesus? Scripture. The Bible is essential for knowing God, for staring at God and knowing his will for our lives. God speaks to us through his word. Now, he may do it through stop signs and traffic lights and friends and family sometime, but the surest way is through God's word. Knowing God's desire for my life, his will for my life is here. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says that we can know certain things about God from looking at the world, from reason. Paul even says God's law is written on our hearts. That's another sermon entirely, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. That's what we call general revelation. That is, is that God reveals himself generally to all people, but we can't know God fully that way. To know about Jesus, to know about the fullness of God, we need something called special revelation, and that's Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. We all need to commit this to memory. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yearn for God. Discipline your heart toward God. Allow God to conform you into the image of his Son. Live humbly, gently, as we said last week for others. Let God speak to you through his word where we see the living word, the eternal word, Jesus Christ. If I were to make this sermon into one sentence, only the pure in heart see God. The only way to a pure heart is by looking to God. Listen. I'm going to give you some church words, and then I'm going to try to explain it. The unregenerate heart doesn't want God. What's that mean? The heart that hasn't been reborn wants nothing to do with God. The heart left to our own human devices wants what it wants. It wants money security, influence, happiness, ease of life, absence of suffering. And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with those things? Well, nothing's wrong with those things, except those things are selfish. Sometimes we have to be selfish, I guess, you know. Got to eat, got to avoid danger. Got to avoid trying to get, not trying to get killed. But it's not the life Christ lived himself. And it's not the life Christ has called us to. And this is where the contemporary church in the United States has lost its way. 
Because we are calling you, not we, hopefully, by God's grace, but too many churches are calling you to a life of joy and completeness and wholeness and, and happiness and, and sustenance. And, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, maybe we should ask the apostle Andrew what he thinks about that as he's being crucified on an X-shaped cross, or Peter who was crucified on an upside-down cross, or John who was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil. Only the heart that has been born again desires the things of God. Only the heart that's been born again doesn't, doesn't get sidetracked by the suffering and, and, and the complications and, and, the, and the hatred and the vitriol. This is important because when Jesus finishes these Beatitudes, these are the things that he's going to say. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. I'm not calling you to a life of ease. I'm not calling you to a life of joy. I'm calling you to a life that makes a difference. Is that what you want? That's what Jesus is calling you to. A life where you'll make a difference.